Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 357 of our TIG Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Regenerative Medicine, an interview with Dr. Morgan Lucas. Today, Rich and I got to interview the brilliant Dr. Morgan Lucas. Dr. Lucas is a genius who graduated from Johns Hopkins University, went on to work in New York City, and unfortunately, her health declined and she started to get sick at the young age of 24 years old. She saw countless doctors until one naturopathic doctor piqued her interest into medicine, which triggered her to go back to school to become a naturopathic doctor. Despite her declining health, she continued to go to school, she graduated, and she finally found the root causes of what was causing her illness. She had chronic Lyme disease, a variety of co-infections, and many other things going on causing her to be sick. Within the last six months, Dr. Lucas realized the two things that were preventing her from getting better despite doing everything else right. Dr. Lucas goes into great detail about what she's done to heal and how she's now helping others overcome chronic Lyme disease in this community. So we're really excited to introduce Dr. Morgan Lucas. Hello, Dr. Morgan Lucas, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. And we're excited to have you on the podcast. We've uh, we've had you on our target list for a long time, so I'm glad we've finally been able to jive our schedules together so we can finally get you on. Uh, so, Dr. Lucas, why don't you first share with us um, where you're calling in from? I'm actually in Costa Rica right now. I've been here for the past two months. Oh, that's really cool. And what are you doing in Costa Rica? Oh, I think that's something we'll go into. Um, but I just moved out of my apartment in San Diego. Um, I'm definitely going to talk more about that, um, but it's a long story. All right. So I'm <laughs> glad you're feeling the past two months. So it's been really great. I'm going back to Florida to visit my family um, in about a week, but I'm sad it's over. <laughs> All right. So we'll, 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 we'll bookmark that for now. And you gave us a nice little teaser that we're going to come back to and give our audience a little teaser. So that's really cool. So let's, um, Let's talk about your your time in San Diego. So you're from San Diego. You're from Florida. Where are you from? I'm originally from New Hampshire. I went to high school in Florida. Um, I've kind of lived everywhere. I went to college in Baltimore. Um, and then I was in um, New York for a year and then Seattle for a year and then San Diego. And I was there for school, um, for a naturopathic medical school. I just recently graduated in June. Um, Congratulations. So, thank you. So I'm a, a newly licensed naturopathic doctor, um, but I started off at the home campus in Seattle, but, you know, I just needed the sun. So I went to our, our other satellite campus in San Diego. All right. So, so your childhood was spent in New Hampshire? Yes, New Hampshire. And then my freshman year of high school, uh, my family moved to Florida. So I spent six years there. So you're an East Coast gal, and um, talk to us about uh, what the educational system was like in New Hampshire, and specifically let us know whether or not you had any tick or tick disease uh, education as part of your experience as a student in New Hampshire. You know what? I did not know much about tick-borne disease at all. I didn't know anything about ticks um, besides, you know, my, I think... I remember my mom pulling one off of my brother when I was growing up, but, you know, I lived in New England where it's very prevalent, um, but no education whatsoever. 
So, I mean, other than that one experience where your mom was pulling a tick off your brother, did you know anything at all about ticks or anything all, all about Lyme disease? Did you know anyone who had Lyme disease? I mean, was there any preparation to keep yourself safe from, you know, this uh, this difficult disease? I I had never heard of it. Now that I remember, like, I had never heard of it growing up. I don't even remember the first time I heard of it, but I think I was... That that was when I was going through my health journey. So okay, and and we're gonna get there in a moment. So let's talk about your time in Florida. Um, you moved to Florida your freshman year, so you went through all of high school in Florida, and then you finally went to Baltimore when you went to that um, that uh, nationally ranked college that you went to. Yep. Um, so I spent quite a few years there. Um, I yeah yeah. <laughs> so when you during your childhood both in New Hampshire and then of course your your later childhood in Florida what is it that you envisioned for yourself what what did you think you would be doing to serve the world um to serve the world I, I guess I didn't really find my direction until I was much older um and as most people here pain turns to purpose that did happen for me as well um I was never passionate about what I did. I studied economics undergrad. Um, I was, you know, raised in a family who with of entrepreneurs and um, thought I would go into finance. Um, I was really good at math. I also studied applied math and statistics. And so I was going to incorporate those. Um, but I actually, my first job out of college, I did digital marketing analytics. Um, and it was a blessing for me because at that point, um, my health was declining. And so it was a virtual office. And so that was really helpful. Um, and then from there, I wasn't passionate about it. And so I, I realized I need to do something I'm passionate about it. Um, and at that time, that was when I was starting to learn more about health. And in my free time, I would always read health books. And even when I was um, in college before my health journey. Um, so I decided to pursue my passion. Um, okay. But I'm going to, I'm going to cut you off. Yeah, one, one we're we're going to go into all of that. I'm sure. <laughs> we are going to go back to, so let's, let's, let's walk back to your time at college. So we've been teasing uh, you about your college experience because um, you know, you went to one of the top colleges in the country. So why don't you first share with all listeners where you went to college? Oh, yeah. I guess I didn't mention that. I went to Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland. So Johns Hopkins, of course, is one of the top schools in the U.S., probably in the world. Um, and it's certainly come on to the radar of the Lyme community because of so much of the Lyme research that's being done at Johns Hopkins and so much of the research that many people in the in the Lyme community are using, for example, with psychedelics. So, you know, there, I think there's no irony here that, um, you know, you went to a school which is becoming very prominent in the Lyme community, although those the, those universes sort of didn't come together until uh, until recently. But when you were at when you were at Hopkins, do you recall um, any of the research being done on ticks and tick diseases, or any of the research that's being being done on psychedelics, or was all that post dating your graduation? Um, I did not get any exposure to that research at all. I think that was after I graduated. I graduated in, in two thousand fourteen. Um, 
But then again, I was also studying economics, so I wasn't really exposed as much to the research at that time. So now um, give us give us a, a sense of when your health started to decline um, and what that early decline was like. It was after I graduated high school. I'm sorry, graduated college and I was living in New York um, doing the digital marketing analytics job. Um, and I started experiencing a lot of brain fog, fatigue, muscle aches. Um, my chemical sensitivities started, insomnia. It was difficult to get out of bed, um, body aches. And um, it was it was debilitating at times. You know, you say brain fog and fatigue and people are just like, well, that's normal. No, it was not normal brain fog or fatigue. Um, and chemical sensitivity started and bloating. And at that time I was in New York. Um, so let's, let's pause that for a second, Dr. Lucas, because, um, you know, you, you're now in New York and, uh, you know, we, we, we know that New York is the tip of the spear for Lyme disease. So we know that the ticks that were initially dragged and ultimately examined by Dr. Bergdorfer were dragged in New York. So what kind of activities were you engaging in New York? And do you recall engaging in any outdoor, outdoor activities prior to um, the onset of your uh, symptoms? Yes but it was not in New York. I believe that um, I acquired Lyme disease from being in Texas um, because following a trip to Texas for Thanksgiving, um, I had a bite on my leg um, that turned into a big rash and I went to dermatologists and they couldn't tell me what it was. They took a biopsy. I went everywhere. I tried to like treat it myself. I was like, what is going on? And I remember scratching it in Texas. And um, I think it, I, I don't ever remember a tick, but we now know that you can get Lyme disease from mosquitoes, fleas, spiders, things like that. So that is where I think I got Lyme, Lyme disease because my symptoms developed shortly after that. Okay, so I'm going to challenge you on whether or not you can get Lyme disease from some of those other vectors, but we'll we'll pause there for a second and let's focus on what kinds of things you were doing because you know there's there's often a temporal gap between when we come in contact with the vector and when we ultimately ultimately have symptoms. So, were you um, how long were you in Texas before the symptoms um, uh, presented themselves? And um, and uh, when did you first see a doctor after those symptoms, the rash in particular, exhibited? I think it was a few weeks after that trip. Um, and that I started developing symptoms. And then I first went to a dermatologist um, when I started noticing it like two weeks after, um, and it didn't go away for a while. Um, and, um, so, so is it possible that you could have been bitten, um, uh, before you left New York and then you went to Texas to notice it? Is it possible that you had been bitten at, 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 at an earlier stage in your life? And, you know, um, part of what we we always like to discuss with our guests is that most of the experts in Lyme disease will argue that there are there are two paths to acute from acute to um, to chronic phase. 
Um, and one path is, is um, if you are bitten by multiple ticks at one time, so essentially you trip into a, 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 a nest and you get bitten by many, many ticks. And it doesn't sound like that was your path because you would have noticed that. The second path, if it's going to be a short path, is one where you're living in a high mold environment, right? You're living, you're living in a moldy environment. Your, your health is, 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 um, is compromised and your immune system is compromised by the mold. And then you get bitten by a tick and then it would take off. Otherwise, in most cases, there's a long temporal gap between bite and, and, and the onset of symptoms. And generally in that case, what we find is that, uh, is that you're, in, you're in the midst of some high stress experience and that immunosuppressive experience results in your body losing the capacity to manage these microbes and you get sick. So if you were gonna describe your path, what you think your path is, if it was one of those three, which do you think it might be? You know, it's really difficult to, to say for most people, um, I I do think most of my symptoms started after that bite, but at the same time, I was exposed to mold um, previously living in a house in, in Marblehead, Massachusetts. That is a possible trigger. Um, and I did grow up in New Hampshire, so it's possible that I acquired it much earlier. Um, it's so difficult to say, and I wish I could tell you, I wish we all had like a little uh, crystal ball that we could have looked into and, and discovered what actually caused it. But for me, um, I could I could spend all all day trying to piece it together. But, you know, we just don't know. Right. And on some level, that looks, it doesn't really matter how you acquired it. Once you're sick, you want to figure out a path out of being ill. So I, I, I understand that on some level, it doesn't matter, but it is important to explore that. Some people need to know. I mean, it's it, it may be something they emotionally need to know, but many of our, our listeners want to be able to help family members to pr protect themselves from, from getting sick. So they, they like to have this information so they can try to pass it on. And of course, we always want to make sure that we're not getting reinfected because I don't think anything would be worse than being sick on a path to recovery and then uh, and then getting reinfected, right? So that's why we explore these things. So I want to I challenge you on another piece of this. And that is um, we uh, one of the things that Matt and I are often uh, discussing is you know, how will someone get sick from Lyme disease, right? Uh, and uh, and we believe that there are only four ways that you can acquire Lyme disease. Uh, the, the upstream way that you can get sick from Lyme disease is you get bitten by a tick. And that's why most people get sick from Lyme disease either directly, and now we'll get to the indirect piece. And there are three ways that you can indirectly get Lyme disease in our view. The first is congenital Lyme disease. Your mother could have had Lyme disease and you could have acquired Lyme disease. Second way that you can get Lyme disease is if you have had intimate contact with someone else who has Lyme disease, and that could be passed on to you. And the third way that you can get Lyme disease is if you had a blood transfusion, and the and the and the and the microbes could be could be uh, transmitted to you through uh, through a blood transfusion. So if you were to, to accept our our analysis of either a tick bite, um, intimate contact with somebody with Lyme, congenital Lyme, or um, or a blood transfusion, and you were to sort of look, at, look, you know, revisit your experience through that lens. Um, what do you think is the most likely way you had acquired uh, Lyme? I would say most likely a tick bite because I did grow up in New England. I have not 
gotten a blood transfusion. I was not sexually active before that time. Um, I, my, my mom doesn't exhibit any of those symptoms. So it's mostly a tick bite, but you don't believe that you can get it from mosquitoes, tick, uh, fleas, or spiders if you're no. immune. So let me, let, let me share with you. So we, uh, I think most of the research suggests that you can't get it that way. And, uh, and, and the, the main thing that we have to be careful about when, when looking at the realities versus the myths of Lyme disease is, um, is that in order for a vector to transmit Lyme disease for you, uh, to you, there has to be a large volume of the microbes, um, spit into you or put into you in some way. Um, and, uh, there has to be a period of time where there is a, a long attachment period for that to take place. And um, the tick spit in particular is really a unique element of acquiring Lyme disease because the tick spit uh, not only um, causes the tick to become superpowered and believe it or not, the tick spitting um, and sucking the blood up, there is a actually a protein exchange that happens with our blood and the Lyme bacteria when it's in the gut of the tick. And the tick spit is ultimately immunosuppressive. So it, it suppresses our immune system from responding to, uh, appropriately responding to the microbes when they're being spit into it. So unique is a, a tick is a very unique vector when it comes to this. But even more exciting, Dr. Lucas, is we interviewed, um, we interviewed, um, uh, Matt, help me with it. It was, uh, it was Dr. Rich. Um, uh, Stephen Dr. Rich, Professor Stephen Rich. Come on, Dr. Rich. Stephen Rich, who's this really, really smart man. And he's actually not only one of the foremost experts in the world on ticks, but also on mosquitoes. And we posed this question to him because we've, we've heard the, the, the mosquito myth many, many times. Um, and doc, what Dr. Rich shared with us is you cannot get Lyme disease from a mosquito bite. And the reason you can't get it from a mosquito bite is in part, the attachment is not long enough, in part because there isn't the tick spit that would be assisting the microbe. But even more importantly, the, the the mosquitoes have defenses against the Lyme disease, uh, against the Lyme bacteria, and it is not harbored by Lyme disease. So Dr. Rich had uh, very aggressively and politely um, dispelled that myth. I think on our in, in our platform once and for all. So um, it really is. I you know at least in our view, it's one of the four: tick bite, congenital, intimate contact, or or blood transfusion. We call the tick bite the upstream, and the other three the downstream. So thank you for allowing me to explore that with you, Dr. Lucas. It's always fun to explore these uh, these things with our community. So let's take the next step, thank right? Thank you for sharing your research. Well, thank you, uh, thank you for uh, being kind. Um, so let's 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 take the next step, and the next step is. You now start to get symptomatic, right? And you're not feeling well. And you, you know, I, I'd like you to, you know, for for our um, community, um, you know, folks really get frustrated with the fatigue piece, right? Fatigue, as we know from the LymeDisease.org um, surveys, is the number one symptom that everyone has in common. If you have Lyme disease, you're going to have fatigue, right? And one of the things that folks are often frustrated with on our podcast is when somebody like me who doesn't have Lyme disease says, "Oh, yeah, I understand. I, I've been tired too, right?" Should, share some or shed some light on the difference between what it was like to be tired when you were before you were sick and how that was different than the absolute crippling fatigue that you had um, when you first started to get your Lyme disease symptoms. Okay. So I would say like normal fatigue, um, people wake up tired, but they can still go about their day rather normally. Um, 
and function be a functioning human being and go to their job and and fulfill their responsibilities. I would say Lyme disease fatigue, on the other hand, um, you it's debilitating. You wake up, you can't get out of bed, even though you've gotten like 12 or 13 hours of sleep, usually with average fatigue, like there's an explanation for your fatigue. Like maybe you didn't get a lot of sleep or, um, you are dehydrated or things like that, or you just overworked your muscles by working out things like that. But with Lyme disease fatigue, um, it's hard to satisfy your responsibilities. It's hard to have the motivation to even do so because you're, you're like, what's like your body's in a survival state. It it's trying to conserve energy. You've had 13 hours of sleep. You, nothing helps maybe with average fatigue, like caffeine might help, but caffeine makes you feel even worse. Um, so it's to the point where, you know, maybe you, you slept in till 10 or 11 and you still just, it takes you half an hour, an hour to even get out of bed. Um, unless, yeah. And it's just, it takes you everything that you have to even like put on your clothes. And like, for me, I know that there was something that helped and that was like, you know, using sauna or like going to the gym and like just forcing yourself. So it was like getting to that point took like a couple hours, but I know it always made me felt feel better. And I think that's, it's because I did those things that I was able to, um, I was able to accomplish the things that I wanted to, um, So, so Matt is going to talk to you a little bit about some of the things you did instinctively to respond to your symptoms. But I'm going to I'm going to ask you to bookmark that now for the later part of our conversation. And I, I want to ask you about now how the fatigue impacted your mindset. Meaning, um, you're from an entrepreneurial family. You're hard charging folks. You went to one of the top universities in the in the world, I and mean, it wasn't easy to get in there. You are, you know, you 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 are this, you know, this very accomplished young person, and now you can't get out of bed and you can't function. What impact was that having your on your head and your mindset? Yeah, I've always been a very goal oriented person, and so these symptoms, this fatigue, this disease just turned me into a person who, who just wanted to get through the day. Um, it, it made me focus on the short-term rather than the long-term. And it made me have to, it forced me to focus more on myself. And I was forced to do the things that made me feel better so that I could get through the day, I guess. Right. You're in survival mode, right? I mean, you you you, yeah. you literally turned in into yourself, and you were now doing what you needed to do to just survive, right? It, it really was a triggering of your survival software. Exactly. Um. Yeah. It was. It was very debilitating, and my life com- changed completely. I was always a very social person. I was in a sorority um, in college, 
very social. I've always had a lot of friends. I did pageantry. I was actually Miss New Hampshire Teen USA. Congratulations. Um, thank you. And when I was in high school and I was actually preparing for Miss New York USA. Um, and I think my symptoms started like right after that pageant. And that was the end of, of pageants really for me. Um, and so I've always been so goal oriented. You need to have like discipline and structure when it comes to these things. And for me, when I got sick, um, it, everything just became less important and my health became the most important thing for me and finding answers and doing research and seeing doctors became so important. And that's what I did in my free time. And, and I learned so much that just made me so excited about what we can do for people and what tools we have in our tool belt for not only Lyme disease, but for so many other conditions, like everything I was learning applied to like my mom who got breast cancer um, around that same time too. And my grandmother who was um, struggling with Alzheimer's. And I just got so excited about all of these tools and therapies that we have. And so it just opened up my world. So at the same, while it did have a short term, like it did turn off my, um, uh, my short term perspective on life. It, I mean, it turned, yeah, it turned, I was more focused on the short term because of my illness and, and just surviving, but it also did trigger a long-term vision for myself and so, right, so we'll get there. <laughs> we'll I, I, get there. <laughs> I promise we're going to get there but let's 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 examine another piece of this story that you've shared with us which is you're not the first pageant um participant that we've interviewed on this I've podcast. Heard your, your other interview recently with um another pageant girl um we've had we've had a, we've had a couple i'm sorry i think it was mrs united states recently Yes, so we, we've had we've had we've had at least I think three other pageant um, um, participants. And what I find kind of interesting about your experience is you're you're making a temporal connection between when you got sick and your participation in a pageant, which we've heard several times. So I want to talk a little bit about how rigorous it is to prepare for a pageant, how stressful it is to prepare for a pageant, and how that may have been sort of yep. the 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 um, you know the the straw that broke the camel's back. Unfortunately, in addition to your mom's illness and your grandmother's illness, I mean that whole combination of uh, of events were clearly very very stressful. Yeah in addition to the mold exposure around that time. But yeah, um, preparing for a pageant takes a lot of discipline. I was working out twice a day. I've really put in so much effort into Miss New York USA because I wanted to go to Miss USA. And I, this was like one of my last shots, like to go to Miss USA. And I know Miss New York is, is a tough competition. They have 200 girls competing. Um, so I wanted to be as prepared as possible and give it to really go in all out. So I was working out twice a day. I was eating uh, a meal plan of five meals a day, uh, measuring things, things like that. So it was a stressful period. I was uh, preparing for interview with my pageant coach. I was getting a gown designed and um, just 
mentally preparing as well. So, and I was, I was working a full-time job at the same time. So it was a little bit stressful, but at the same time, like I've done it before. So it was kind of fun for me to do. And I've, I've done it before. So, um, and I was, I was working virtually. So that was helpful in terms of preparing, but um, yeah, it was a stressful time, but I also think possibly the mold exposure had something to do with, with it well, as well. Or all of the above, right? I mean, it's, We're it, it's all, a challenge. it really is a combination of things. So I do agree with that. All right. So let, now you, you said that you had been a very social person for most of your life. Um, and now as you're getting sick, you're starting to turn in, right? And so talk to us about how this triggering of your survival software and uh you know the this is pre-dr lucas so how morgan lucas is now turning into herself what impact did that have on you socially and how did your friends and family react to you essentially uh, separating yourself from your from your social environment you know if sometimes it's hard to get through your day it's sometimes even harder to get yourself to go out socially so that can impact you on a social level in a lot of ways. Um, and it can impact your priorities. Like I'm, I'm going to prioritize friends who are very close over superficial friendships. Um, but it is very difficult and, and people often don't understand. Like I, I can't, I can't see you because I, I can barely get out of bed. Um, so on my good days, yes, I would, um, I would, I would try to organize something and try to keep up with friends, but it was, it was also after I had graduated high school or college. So I didn't really have many friends close by anyways. Um, and no real reason to, to go out socially. So I was very isolated at that time. Um, but you know, my, my, because I changed, my friends changed too. Um, my circle changed. I, I, I lost touch with a lot, maybe all, but one or two friends from college, um, because it took a lot of effort to reach out and stay in touch. And my effort was going into other things like getting like finding answers, getting healthy, like getting through the day. And so um, my friends changed. I started migrating to people with similar interests um, when I was going through my health health journey. And I was very blessed to be in naturopathic medical school where everyone, they get it. And they understand if like, if you cancel last minute because you have symptoms and, and you just can't go out, you can't muster up the energy they get it versus whether you did it with someone else they don't and I would say like my my family and my friends they would my my previous friends I feel like people who don't also go through something like this they don't get it and they see what you're doing and spending so much time taking care of yourself as being selfish when really you're doing it for them Everything I've done for my health and my self-care, I do for my family. I do it so that I can get quality time with them. So like say I'm out, um, I'm spending Christmas with my family and I have to take a couple hours to like 
do the things that make me feel good so that I can get like that one hour of good time with them um, and like have a brain functioning and be able to enjoy their company. Like I'm doing those things for them. And it, it was hard for me to see them think that it was a selfish thing and that it really, it, it you know, I, I think people with Lyme disease would understand that. So, so um, now let's talk about the impact of your separating from your, from your college friends and from other friends. Uh, did any of them lash out at you? And did you have, uh, the, did you have any negative emotional responses to the losses that come along with, um, you know, losing friends? You know, no one lashed out at me. It was kind of drifting away slowly. Um, just because it takes a lot of effort to keep these friendships going. Um, and yeah, I, I do look back on, on pictures and it makes me sad to see that I've drifted apart from people who used to be so close to me. Um, but at the same time, I, I'm trying to focus on like the, the real truer friendships that I've developed over time through through this illness and the one, the friendships who've remained from college, they are true friends. And they, you know, my, my little sister in my sorority, like she, she's like the one person that I really stayed in touch with. And every day, every time I see her, like, it feels like just yesterday. So it's people like that, that just really matter. And like, that's where I'm going to focus my energy and and not focus on the past. So we're going to spend some time talking about the blessings of Lyme disease uh, later on in the podcast. Uh, and, and and you're starting to, again, foreshadow some of those uh, conversations that we were <laughs> going to have. Uh, but while we're, while we're at this phase, uh, you, you did share with us that you went to see a doctor after you had the rash on your leg after your, uh, you noticed it in Texas. Uh, and that doctor was not able to help you to get a diagnosis. Now you you begin to suffer from these early symptoms, and you were talking about this debilitating fatigue. Uh, did you start to see any doctors after uh, the debilitating fatigue? Yeah, um, I was actually really blessed. Um, my stepmom, she she knew I was struggling um, a lot, and she had a naturopathic doctor. Um, who she referred me to. And she was like, Morgan, this is your health. You have to go. And I was like, it's expensive. Like, are they really going to help me? And this naturopathic doctor changed my life because I ended up going to the school that she went to. Uh, But she, she didn't provide me all the answers, but she did help me with some of my symptoms. Like we addressed a lot of my bloating, my hormones, my sleep, my things like that. But I never really got an answer, um, but it opened up, it opened up my eyes to the world of naturopathic medicine. And then I went to naturopathic medical school and I had to, you know, try like, see, I saw so many doctors before I finally got the Lyme disease diagnosis. Most, yeah. Yeah, let's talk about the, 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 your, your experience with the naturopathic doctor. Had you ever seen a naturopathic doctor before? Uh, your stepmom recommended it. And what was the difference between treating with some of the traditional doctors that you treated with before and now your new experience with uh, a naturopathic doctor? 
this was my first experience with a, a naturopathic doctor, but I did see a homeopathic doctor when I was in Florida um, for mono, which helped a lot. Um, but this was my first experience. I obviously grew up like most people with conventional medicine and we're just covering up symptoms and um, yeah, um, it just, it was amazing to me. And I was so, I, I just, I loved going, you know, with conventional medicine, you despise going. And I remember being a kid and just counting down the days until my doctor's appointment was over. Cause I got so nervous, but I just loved going and yeah, it was a great experience. Well, give us, give us some more meat on that bone. Why did you love going to the naturopathic doctor? And why was that such a positive experience and a different experience than the experiences that you had where you were anxious about going to an appointment and, and, and had anxiety build up, anxious at the appointment and happy that it was over when you were treating with uh, allopathic doctors? Because she spoke to me so compassionately and with such empathy, and I felt heard. You don't feel heard in conventional medicine. Um, I also loved her just taking the time to care for me, like just having someone care for you. Like she would um, do acupuncture treatments or um, chiropractic or massage, um, abdominal therapeutic massage during the appointments and just having someone take the time to really care for you. It's it's therapy in itself. So one of the things we've heard from guests in the past is they were critical of, of traditional practitioners in part because the time they spend with a traditional practitioner was very short. And we know that the research shows that in most cases, a, a uh, traditional medical doctor will spend less than 15 minutes with you and interrupt you when you're trying to share your symptoms within the first seven seconds. Um, we also know that uh, many of our, our guests have complained that traditional doctors, uh, traditional medical doctors will treat the symptoms rather than the person. So it, it, do, you, do you agree with those, those challenges that have been shared with us in the past? And is that consistent with what your allopathic experiences and, and is that sort of cutting to the heart of why your naturopathic experience was so much better? Exactly. It was so refreshing to see a naturopathic doctor. I grew up with conventional care where we're just covering up symptoms. They see you for five minutes and I, I had acne, the worst acne possible in, in high school. And I remember being offered Accutane and then they put me on birth control, which I later regret, like for acne. And no one once mentioned, you know, maybe you should try cutting out dairy or, you know, just these little things like your diet. So yeah, it, it was so refreshing for someone to like try to get to the root cause and to take an hour and a half for a first visit. Um, maybe it was even up to two hours. You never see that in conventional medicine ever. Now, you said that you were a little anxious about going to the doctor because you had said to your stepmom that um, you were concerned about the cost. Now, were you concerned about that because the naturopathic doctor was going to treat you 
outside of the insurance system and as a result of that you were going to have to pay for it privately yeah um she did not accept insurance the naturopathic doctors are not licensed in new york so she couldn't but so um so you had this experience where you were stepping out of the system we talk about that a lot on this podcast where unfortunately what we find is that uh, many people uh, in order to be able to recover from lyme disease they have to step outside of the system and it doesn't matter what system you're you're in we, we we've had many of our listener, many of our podcast guests, and some of our listeners argue to us, well, the reason, you know, the system doesn't work here in the US is because we have this capitalist system. And they and they, you know, they like to sing the virtues of, you know, one of these government systems that you see in Europe or in Canada. But when we, when we interview, when we interview uh, people who are in the socialized medicine system, many of the European guests and the Canadian guests we've interviewed, what they tell us is that system doesn't work either. And in fact, it, in many ways, it's a, the system is worse because it takes so much time before you can get an appointment with a doctor in those systems, but they have to step out of the system. So it's really not a matter of whether or not it's a, you know, a private care system or a, you know, or a uh, nationalized or socialized system. It really is the, the, the amount of time that the practitioner is going to spend with you. And in most cases, because we have an acute care system rather than a chronic care system, the only way that you're going to get the care that you need is by stepping out of the system and going to a practitioner that will be able to take adequate time to treat somebody with a chronic illness. That's exactly right. Um, yeah, the the healthcare industry is just very inefficient right now, and sometimes you have to pursue other routes, and the cost is completely worth it. Um, because you're not going to get that kind of treatment elsewhere in the conventional system. And to me, your health is the most valuable thing that you have. And so if you need to go an alternative route, like you do, and like, it's actually, it could, it's just more efficient in that way. Like, yeah, you might be um, paying out of pocket, but what you're getting, like, it's so valuable and like you get a doctor who's like approachable like you can um usually message them and they're responsive and they just really want to help versus conventional medicine you'll spin your wheels getting nowhere so sometimes you have to do you have to step out of that system so now when you went to your first naturopathic doctor you still hadn't gotten your diagnosis right um now this was you said that you um, you ultimately received a diagnosis. I think you shared with us when you were 27 years old, um, and your your symptoms began when you were 24. So we have this three year window. How many different doctors did you see be between when you had the onset of, of symptoms and when you finally got your diagnosis? That's a good question. I would say maybe 10 to 12. Um, maybe less, um, maybe around 10, but I started on my health journey. Um, I met my naturopathic doctor. We, we did make a lot of progress. Um, and then I started seeing doctors in Seattle when I moved there to do my post-baccalaureate, um, to 
satisfy the requirements for naturopathic medical school. And so I had access to our Bastyr clinic. And so I saw a lot of doctors there, but there's also a lot of naturopathic doctors um, in Seattle. Um, so I did see quite a few doctors, but um, like at the clinic, like I would see multiple doctors. So they were all in charge of my care, but it, it, no one really uncovered the Lyme disease. We were addressing mostly like, you know, I, I, it wasn't even on my radar. Um, we were addressing like mostly like my digestive issues and other symptoms and like fatigue. And most of those doctors, um, I did get a, a diagnosis of like hypothyroidism and reactivated Epstein-Barr. And so I was satisfied with that diagnosis. And I was like, oh, I have my answer. It's reactivated EBV from when I had mono in high school. And so I subscribed all my symptoms to that. And I treated the reactivated EBV accordingly, but I never got fully better. And then I, it dawned on me, like there must be something else going on. And then I think someone else in my social circle or something mentioned Lyme disease at one point. And then I asked my doctor for a test because it dawned on me, like, like you've been treating this a long time, like you should be better. Um, and so I knew there was probably something else going on. So I asked my doctor for a test and we tested it. Um, and it was actually on my doctor's test too, at that point, because we've exhausted a lot of things and, um, yeah, it's, it's weird. She, she thought about testing that as well at that point. And then, the test was not positive at that point, but the Western blot did have some positive bands and the CD57 was low and there was some indication. And then she referred me to a Lyme doctor who did another test and that one was positive. So yeah, I did see quite a few doctors, um, but most of them naturopathic, which was a blessing. Okay. So let's Matt's going to take you through the diagnosis and then the, the treatment journey. Uh, but I have a couple more questions to ask you on, on the journey that led up to the, the test. So, um, so you treated with some in the neighborhood of 10 doctors, all of which were naturopathic. And, um, and one of the virtues we are told of working with the naturopath rather than an allopathic doctor is that uh, naturopathic doctors treat the whole person, and they're always looking for root causes as opposed to just looking at a symptom. Um, did any of the doctors that you treated with ever suggest to you that um, the, the Epstein-Barr presentation could be the result of immunosuppression other than caused by something other than the Epstein-Barr, and the Epstein-Barr was a presentation of this uh, immunosuppression? Um. I think um, maybe that's a good question. Um, it was indicated when we focused more on like my sleep and um, my gut health um, to support the immune system because I did have some infections. Um, I, I think it, they sort of indicated that in that way. Um, by, 
you know, we diagnosed this reactivated EBV, but we're treating the gut and um, enhancing your immune system by supporting your sleep and all these other areas. So I do think that was sort of on their radar, even though it was in on my radar, even though it wasn't like blatantly said like or explained. Um, and I knew that too. Um, so I, that might be why they didn't just say it. Um, well, no, and it may. So one of the things we've seen, Dr. Lucas, with the folks who have been successful in recovering from Lyme on this podcast um, is that they generally go through this process of prehabilitation uh, where they're getting themselves and they're getting their body ready for, um, you know, for this phase where they have to assist their immune system and killing off the microbes. And a lot of that has to do with working on your gut and working on your sleep and working on your movement and, you know, and working on your diet and doing those kinds of those kinds of things you need to do in order to be able to get yourself ready for uh, what seems to be the battle phase or the killing phase of this. And it looks like all of the naturopathic doctors that you're working with, although they weren't able to properly diagnose you. Um, and, you know, and, and I'm thinking they probably did have the clues to do that, but we'll, we'll, we'll put that aside for a moment. They certainly were taking you through a process of focusing on the, on, on your entire body and your person and your mindset and all of those other pieces that were important for you to take the steps you needed to take after you were diagnosed. Exactly. Yeah. We, we call that in naturopathic medicine, establishing the foundations for health. And that is very important. So while they didn't get the diagnosis, um, everything you're doing to support the foundations for health is going to impact the immune system and is going to impact so many other areas. Like it's not like with Lyme disease, you don't just have like one diagnosis, like Lyme disease. It, it likes to damage the body in different ways, whether it's your thyroid or your neurological function, but supporting all these areas is going to make every other area work better, like every system in your body work better. Okay. So um, before I hand you over to Matt, I'm going to ask you to react to the tick boot camp definition of Lyme disease. So at tick boot camp, we, we define Lyme disease as a polymicrobial multi-systemic chronic infectious disease. Um, and one of the reasons why we think naturopathic doctors may have an edge in diagnosing this disease over allopathic doctors is because they are looking at the multi-systemic impacts of a disease when they're doing their work. And it puts them in a position where they're more likely to get to a place where they can diagnose this disease um, uh, despite not really having a good definition, because the, the traditional definition, of course, is that it's one bacteria, one strain of one bacteria. Um, and and, and you know, when you don't have a proper uh, definition, you can't get to a diagnosis. But I'd like your reaction to our definition of Lyme disease, which is a polymicrobial, multisystemic, chronic infectious disease. And do you believe that if that was a definition of Lyme disease, that was the working definition of Lyme disease, that it's more likely to be diagnosed by practitioners? Absolutely. I feel like it would be more diagnosed because when patients are having multiple systems like impacted and all these different symptoms that are unexplained, like, and they, like, they've gone through other routes and they still don't have an answer, like, 
then they'll be more apt to think about um, or testing and diagnosing Lyme disease because the Lyme disease symptoms are so vague. And I think that's why it's so commonly misdiagnosed because people chalk that up to other other problems. Like for me, it was like EDV or it could be hypothyroidism or um, just every like normal, you know? Most people yep. consider like things as these symptoms as normal. Sorry, what were you saying, Matt? No, Dr. Lucas, I think I couldn't agree more, right? And I think the problem gets compounded and I've seen this in my own health journey and I think you've seen it in yours as well is that people just get way too focused on Borrelia burgdorferi. And, you know, we did a post last month about Borrelia, Borrelia miyamotai and we got, we triggered a lot of people in the community. And I must say, that you know the the post the intent of the post was to inform our followers that Borrelia miyamotai was finally recognized by the CDC on the west coast of the United States as an emerging infectious disease threat, and because the title was Borrelia miyamotai first confirmed case in West Coast, it triggered a lot of people to say, "Hey, I've had it for years. Hey, I've been I've I live in California and I've I've been diagnosed with that." But the problem is the recognition. Doctors aren't looking for these other types of pathogens or these other strains. So in your case, you were tested for Borrelia burgdorferi and you were indeterminate and you had to go to a Lyme specialist, drill in further to even have a definitive diagnosis. And I think that just complicates the process and confuses us as patients, Dr. Lucas. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on that piece of it. Yeah, absolutely. When we're focused too much on one strain, you neglect other areas of the country as well as other co-infections that could be causing issues such as Bartonella, which seems to be pretty common that I've seen. Um, and so, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I do want to, so now I'm going to zoom out again, right? You and Rich had some really fun discussions there, but you were sick when you were 24. You were just out of college. You were working in New York City in the digital marketing analytics field. And then when you first started to get sick, your naturopathic doctor inspired you to go to naturopathic medicine school. And this is kind of leading you up right to your diagnosis where we just landed with Rich. But before that, you said your naturopathic team of doctors helped you with some of your symptoms before you had your diagnosis. And I know our listeners love to know because whether you were diagnosed or not, they want to know what helped you. And you said specifically, it helped with your bloating, your hormones, and your sleep. So we can just talk about those three items and what you did specifically with your naturopathic team of doctors to help those symptoms, starting first with bloating, please. Yes. Um, so bloating, we identified the root cause. Um, I discovered a with um, intestinal um, stool testing, we did, we did discover a parasite, candida overgrowth, um, what else? Small intestine bacteria overgrowth. Um, and then would you like me to talk about treatment for for my my gut? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and actually before, because, you know, of course, I'm going to want to go deeper. Can you look more about the stool test? Because we hear that often. And I mean, I've never had one. I've had urine tests. I've had a ton of blood tests, but I've always been curious, like what can you find in a stool test and how do you get one? And is it pricey? 
you can find a lot. So it's a comprehensive stool analysis. They can be pricey. They're around a few hundred dollars, but you can find out whether you have intestinal dysbiosis, um, what kind of flora is present and whether it's commensal or um, pathogenic. And you can find um, candida overgrowth, which can cause a number of symptoms that can mimic Lyme disease. And um, what else? Um, you can identify different um, uh, short-chain fatty acids. You can identify different um, uh, enzymes that help break down estrogen, um, beta-glucuronidase. And so if you have an uh, a low level of that, that can increase your risk of breast cancer. And mm -hmm. so you can, you can find out a lot. So I would say that the cost is worth it. You know, it's a few hundred dollars, but if you can get to the root cause of, of your bloating and support your immune system in that way, um, I think it's completely worth it. And I'm going to, I'm going to make it simpler for people like myself who don't understand some of the things you just described, because that's a lot of a lot of a lot there that can be found from a stool test. But you identified some of these root causes contributing to your bloating, and then you treated them. And you said that you're going to go into the treatment. But before you go there, I want to ask you about so Northeastern. I think it was about a year and a half ago came out with a study around the gut and you know your digestive system and everything, talking about intestinal bacteria giving doctors an objective clue or test for chronic Lyme disease and how certain certain gut microbes are found 100% of the time in chronic Lyme patients in abundance that are not found in the healthy population from the study. And they found another one that was a strong indicator as well. Are you familiar with the study? And I mean, what are your thoughts on the gut and the gut microbiome having an impact on chronic illness and possibly being a driving factor as to why people don't recover from chronic Lyme disease? Wow, I'm not familiar with that study, but I would I would love to dive into it and, and learn more. Um, but the gut is so important for any illness because we know that the immune system lies in the gut. And so by supporting the gut via the the immune system via the gut, we can help the body fight any pathogen. So it just makes sense that the Lyme disease population has a different um much uh, microbiome than the uh, general population because their their immune system is burdened and their gut microflora can't seem to to fight off that pathogen and so it it makes sense. So what's interesting is, uh, and I'll read it to you just so you can, our listeners can have it, and then I'll give you the title. So if people want to search it, in, in a study that compared fecal matter from healthy people, intensive care unit patients, and uh, post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome or chronic Lyme patients, Dr. Kim Lewis and his team determined that people with P uh, chronic Lyme disease have two distinct differences in their microbial levels compared to other groups, an abundance of a type of bacteria called Blautia, B-L-A-U-T-I-A, and a suppression of, of a type of bacteria called bacterioids all in the gut, right? So I think there's something there. And I think it's interesting that you talk about your gut being 70% of your immune system. And the, and the title of this is intestinal bacteria could give doctors an objective test for chronic Lyme disease. And it's on the northeastern uh, northeastern.edu website, if people want to search it uh, as well. But I digress back, uh, Dr. Lucas, to your treatment for what you did for all of your GI issues. If you can just share with us what you did from a naturopathic standpoint to address your bloating prior to your Lyme diagnosis. Yeah, prior to my Lyme 
diagnosis at the point since it was um, very preliminary in my Lyme disease. Um, I was able to tolerate more at that point um, versus my, I became a very sensitive person. And I think that started after I moved to San Diego being exposed to mold. Um, but I did tolerate the herbs. So we did an herbal kill protocol um, for the pathogens that were present. And then we did a repair protocol, which consisted of some demulcent herbs and um, formulas that helped re rebuild the gut microbiome and then reestablish the microflora with probiotics and fiber um, and things like that. And so that did help, but I still had a still had some issues after that. And so um, I think because my immune system was suppressed, these infections just kept coming back because I test retested again. And um, initially it was gone and then it was back. And so, you know, you have to get to, you have to support the whole body in order to completely heal from these things. And it's a process of elimination, right? So you realize you have bloating issues, you realize you had infections in your gut, you treated them, they got better, and then they came back. So you knew something else was wrong because it shouldn't come back if you're healthy. So you had to get deeper, more to the root cause. So before we do go on to your diagnosis, I, I want to focus on the hormones and the sleep as well. If you can give us specifically what you did to address your hormone imbalances and sleep pre-diagnosis, because that's something many Lyme patients struggle with, even once they have a diagnosis. Yeah. I first suspected that I had hormone problems because my sleep was so poor, but I also had, um, amenorrhea, which means the absence of menses. And, um, I saw the naturopathic doctor who tested my hormones and my progesterone was completely absent. And so in order to, um, support my progesterone levels, we did um, some uh, natural progesterone cream as well as some herbs to help stimulate my um, progesterone um, production. But also um, we did a detoxification protocol and we also supported my stress levels. Um, and I think supporting the sleep as well had an impact on stress because um, cortisol is a progesterone steel. And so in that way, you got to get to the root problem. Um, but when I look back on it, I see that a lot of hormonal issues can come from Lyme disease and chronic infections. And as soon as I stopped the herbs and the progesterone cream, um, my insomnia would come back and um, things were not regulated at that point. So Dr. Lucas, let's talk about now your diagnosis. You went to a Lyme specialist and I'm curious, are you going to treat with the Lyme specialist or are you going back to your team of naturopaths to treat Lyme disease? I saw both. And I think it's important to get both like a team of doctors because the doctor at the, um, at the, the Lyme literate doctor, he was focused more on like killing the infection versus the naturopathic doctors were for support, uh, focused on supporting the foundations for health. And one doctor can only do so much. Um, the Lyme literate doctor didn't 
really have much time because he did accept insurance, which was a blessing. Um, and I mean, he did have a naturopathic doctor on his team, but because I was getting very um, inexpensive care at the Bastyr Clinic, I continued to see them. And we sub, so my team of doctors, you know, all had different areas of focus. And I think that was really complementary to my overall treatment. So like my naturopathic doctors were focused on treating the gut and, um, you know, my stress levels and, and things like that and, um, detox detoxification so that I could, um, handle the therapies prescribed by the Lyme literate doctor. Um, so Dr. Dr. Lucas, I'm sorry to jump in real quick. Can you just, so you're, you said it was the best year clinic. So that's the B-A-S-T-Y-R clinic. That was your team of naturopathic doctors you were with, correct? Yes. And that was at my school. At your uh, school. Okay. Yeah. And, that, and that's because you saw the doctor and she inspired you to go to school to become a naturopathic doctor, correct? Earlier on? Yes. <laughs> okay. Just, I'm, now I'm bouncing back to with you and Rich. You said you saw her because of your mom, I believe, right? And then that inspired you to go to naturopathic medicine school? Or my, you could tell me I'm wrong if I'm, if I misheard that. No, yeah, that's absolutely right. She, okay. she went to best year as well. And so she became a little, a mentor of sorts. And then what was the Lyme literate doctor you went to that definitively diagnosed you comfortable sharing the name of that doctor or that practice? Sure. Um, Dr. Schickman at the Institute for Specialized Medicine. Okay. So now I'm sorry I interrupted you. You were kind of going into what they were doing to treat, how the Bastyr Clinic was really doing the foundational work of the whole body rebuilding of your gut, of your hormones. And the Institute for Specialized Medicine was now focusing on the killing of Lyme. So can you give us more specifics about what you did to treat Lyme and what the Bastyr Clinic was doing to help kind of rebuild your body as well? Specific herbs, maybe pharmaceuticals, alternative medicine, you know, as much detail as possible that you remember from this time. Yeah, I will say that I didn't tolerate treatment well, but so we initially treated with an herbal, uh, a couple herbal tinctures from Dr. Schickman. Um, and it was, I was completely debilitated with Herxheimer reactions and it was the worst month or two of my life. And then I just like, was like, I can't do this anymore. So I stopped completely. I didn't even have the energy to go to appointments at the Bastyr clinic. Um, it would, I thought I was dying. I like, I made an appointment at the Bastyr clinic because I thought I had the flu. I was like, what is going on? Like I can barely, like it was, it was so bad. So yeah, um, that was not the end of the road. Um, I just stopped the the treatment um, and decided not to continue with that. And then I sought out another doctor um, who I love from uh, from she 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 previously worked with Dr. Klinghart. Um, Dr. Irina, she worked at Marin with um, Marin health, but she, she would travel to LA. And so I saw her in person initially, and she, she was really, really great. And so, but I also continued to see Dr. Schickman, um, because he was really great at, with diagnosis and doing labs and checking in. And that was covered by insurance, but I didn't really follow his protocol because it just caused Herxheimer reactions versus Dr. Irina, who really listened and understood and, and, and saw that I was very sensitive and went really slow. 
Dr. Schickman did not go slow. No, but this is a really important message. Thank you for sharing this. And, you know, we don't hear this. We hear it a lot, but we don't explicitly call it out. And we have people that we talk to offline and on this podcast that go, I got a diagnosis. I'm going to go hardcore and treat and just deal with the fallout. And I'm going to be in bed and I'm going to be shivering. And I'm going to, I don't care because I want to get better. And they think that if they can suffer through it, they're going to end up getting better. And I firmly and Rich firmly believe that that's not the right approach because you're you're putting your already stressed and compromised body in a worse place. So there's a balance. You cannot have that extreme of a Herxheimer reaction and expect to get better. So you intuitively knew what was going on and you pumped the brakes and said, I got to figure out what's next. And I'm really happy that you shared that with us. And again, I'm not surprised because of how smart you are that you made that decision on your own. So can you share well, with us I now? Also, oh, go ahead. I also needed to, to get through medical school. <laughs> I was like, hey, I'll treat after or something. <laughs> well, the fact that you were still in medical school, medical school while being this sick, I mean, I was literally doing nothing but laying in a bed I, when I was sick. So the strength, say, oh my goodness, I can't even. I switched to the five-year track from the four-year track when I was going through things. And so that split my first two years into three. So that helped a lot. But still, it is tough. Like the curriculum is really hard. But I totally agree with what you're saying. Like people think more is better and harder, faster, stronger. No, it just throws your body into an inflammatory cytokine storm. And just it's hard to recover from that because that causes your mast cells and everything to just just over respond to things like going forward. And and then you then you're really in a tough place. So I'm very happy that you learned this lesson quicker than I did and many other people did in the community. Can you share with us what you did with Dr. Irina now that you decided to move on and how you did the you know slow and steady approach and what that protocol looked like? Uh, so she she was really great. Um, she gave me a whole protocol that wasn't just herbs. It was a lot of detoxification. Um, and she addressed everything. So it's like so refreshing to have one doctor address everything, like my hormones, my gut, and everything as well. Um, so it was a long protocol. Um, and we started very, very slow, like with one to two drops. And I was herxing from that. Um, so she and I was like, Dr. Irene, I I really need to get through medical school. And so she was like, let's just focus on the detoxification right now. First steps first. And so we did a lot of binders. We did a lot of sauna and um, we did some lymphatic drainage support. Um, and also at home, I was doing a lot of things on my own too, just in terms of detoxification. Um, and yeah, she sees a lot of sensitive patients. So she knew to go slow and how to support, um, the body in that way. And so like the lymphatics and, and drainage support, um, binders, but, um, yeah, she, she knew how to, to treat the body. <laughs> um, but at the same time I was still herxing and I kind of, I gave up after a certain amount of time because it was so hard to juggle school, with treatment. And so I was just like, I, I, I need to get through medical school and I just feel better not doing any of this. And so maybe I'll wait until the summer to treat. And so 
in the meantime, I continued with detoxification and because I just felt so much better. It was how I functioned like doing sauna every single day, but I was very dehydrated and focusing on diet and sleep and getting like 12 hours a night. Um, but it was hard to function in school when you have to get 11, 12 hours of sleep just to function. And I was very blessed at the time. Not that COVID was a blessing, but it was a blessing for me because I could afford, I, I could do school virtually. And I moved um, to my mom's in Florida. I basically lived there most of the year. Um, versus, I did fly back to San Diego for a few um, in-person labs and, and intensives that we did. But it was, it was helpful to be able to like watch recorded lectures when and, um, you know, be able to do lectures in bed and things like that. Um, and also I think I was, I was, I, I know I was exposed to mold and we'll go into that, but I felt so much better during that time than when I went to Florida and, and stayed with my mom. And so that was a blessing in itself. Um, but in the meantime, I did a lot of therapies on my own. And I re did a lot of research. So once COVID happened, I kind of stopped seeing my doctors in San Diego and my doctor in California um, and sort of just sort of took a break on that. And I was like, you know, I learned more about ozone and um, this uh, frequency-based therapy and I continued to do like um, sauna every day and, and learned about red light and, and other things like that. Um, but so let's, I have so many things to focus on that. So yeah, I want to just get a lot. <laughs> that was amazing. And so much gold there. So I'm just trying, I'm going to unravel some of it. You talked about binders and you talked about learning when it's too much and learning how to pull back. And one of the things that I think that you, you touched on so brilliantly, and I can kind of use my own example is just because you try something and it's too aggressive and it makes you sick doesn't mean that it's not a good tool that can help you at a lower concentration or maybe later on in your journey, right? And a funny story for me is, and Rich knows this, I don't think he, he doesn't know the second part. On Sunday, I decided to go back on chlorella. It's been about a year since I've taken chlorella. And I'm like, you know, it's always good to do a little bit of just uh, take a binder here and there. And I took 40 chlorella on Sunday. And I'll tell you what it did to me with my stomach. I could not function and go to work with the with how it impacted my stomach. So I didn't take it all week, right? But I'm going to take it again this weekend because I don't have to work, you know, at least around other people this weekend. So, I mean, but it doesn't mean that it's not an effective tool. It means I just went too aggressively at it after being off it for a year. So I think that's a really good point. But on the note of binders and on the note of learning the balance of what's a good amount, can you give us specific binders you used and what kind of symptom improvements you noticed from those binders? I used a myriad of different binders, but the one that I tolerated the best was um, Quicksilver's GI Detox, which is a combination of like charcoal, zeolite, um, silica, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, that one I tolerated the best. I also was prescribed this, the Cellcore line, which I did not tolerate. Um, I thought I was going, I would thought I was dying with their um, HMET binder and I couldn't figure it out. And that's, that's when I thought I had the flu and I somehow identified that. Um, what other binders did I try? Um, you know, 
just plain activated charcoal um because i wasn't tolerating the cell core line my my doctor was like well maybe we can use some whole food sources like fiber and and things like that but um you're absolutely right and like slow and steady wins the race like some people have to start with one eighth of a, a of a capsule and at that point um that's what dr irena suggested let's let's try a fourth of a capsule but i was so brain fogged it was hard to concentrate on a protocol of all these like 20 different supplements or whatever 10 20 different supplements and titrating up and like taking them at the right times like after my sauna and like things like that that i just kind of gave up but i i know like that would have made a lot of progress like um i just like didn't have the capacity to do that at that time like following these protocols can be a full-time job. And so for me, having a full-time job as a student was, it was just, it was a lot to, to, to do. So I just sort of focused on outside therapies rather than internal therapies. Um, and yeah, but I got more excited about that. I, th I think, again, I think you're bringing up a really good point and without calling out some of the more complex protocols that exist in the chronic Lyme community, we've had people tell us that have, you know, been patients on this podcast saying, I've tried these complex protocols. I just simply cannot keep up with the pace and the frequency. And therefore I'm not getting the, the, what I'm supposed to, and it's not working and it's stressing me out. So therefore I'm getting sicker. I'm stressed because I can't meet the demand. And I'm not meeting the demand and therefore I'm not getting the proper protocol and it's just making me sicker. Right. I mean, it sounds like that's kind of where you were at. And I just like felt better not taking them. So it, it just, I just didn't want to take them. <laughs> uh, I just didn't want to treat myself, I guess. Um, I just wanted to, to survive well, and function better. <laughs> let's talk about the feeling better, right? Because you said when you were in San Diego, you were worse. You went to Florida and you felt a lot better. And looking back, you now believe that you were exposed to mold in California potentially, which is why you were you know, having such a hard time and being so sensitive and not getting much better while in California. So give us a little more about that and how, and why that came into play and how that came into play. Yeah. You know, I always suspected there was mold because there was a musty smell in my apartment, um, when I would come back from vacations and I, I mean, I suspected it because I felt better when I wasn't there and things like that, but I always chalked it up to actually being exposed somewhere else where I, I know I was definitely exposed at school. And so that's what I thought. But when I graduated, um, I was still living there and still not feeling better. And um, it's so funny because, and I, I just know San Diego is very moldy. And I just, I just knew, you know, in my heart that there was a mold issue because of everything I've learned about with Lyme disease and mold and seeing patients in the clinic. I will tell you that like every single person we end up testing in San Diego is high in mold. It is so common. And it's, it's, I think it's becoming a much bigger issue because of electromagnetic frequency. But um, in terms of my apartment, it's so funny because I asked my apartment building for all these different tests. Um, I mean, I just asked them for any testing. They just come in and they 
um, test the moisture levels in the wall. And so I did an army test, right? And it was in the top 99% of moldy stems. But then I just, oh, first of all, the, the army test took me years to actually do because I didn't have the energy or the capacity because I was so consumed with school. And I was like, after like, I, I wanted to test it the exact properly way. So like it was um, accurate and things like that. And it just, it was just too much for me to even like think about doing a test and, and figuring out how to do the collection and all that stuff. But when I finally did it, like, um, when did I do it this fall? It was sky high. And I, I took the sample from the air purifier which they told me was okay because I had replaced the filters just a few months, like a month or two prior. Um, but I chalked up the results to it just being from the air purifier. But then just recently um, in January, um, there was a water leak. But uh, so our apartment building opened up the wall. Turns out the there was a lot of molds behind the wall and the person who was remediating it said it had been there a while, mm. but it's so funny because two days ago, um, my roommate, my previous roommate, I've, I've moved out everything. Um, just they were, they remediated that, but I didn't trust it. I knew there was something else. I knew that there was more mold because it still smelt musty. And I knew that I, I just still did not feel well. And I, I knew like, I, I think my room was worse than my roommates. Like there was something in my room. Um, but it's so funny because two days ago, I found out that they opened up a wall in my bathroom and there was a ton of mold and my bed like my, the head of my bed is like basically right next to the bathroom I slept there for like four and a half years so I was exposed for a while and I know I got myself as good as I could on my own in a moldy environment and the fact that I got myself to the point of being functional and graduating from naturopathic medical school I I think that these therapies can be really impactful um but I never got myself fully well until I I moved you know like that's an obstacle to cure in itself and and it, it like looking back like like we need to make sure all of our patients are not in a moldy environment so that they can heal or in a toxic environment it might not be just mold but I also found like high uranium in my water in in my body like it was it, it couldn't have been higher so when I did I did a mycotoxin test in my body um but I did a total tox so I also got environmental toxins and I got heavy metals and so yes I had high mold as expected but also my uranium level was even like it was it it couldn't have been higher on the scale. So it was in the top 99.9% of um, people. And I, I don't know where 
that came from. Like, I'm pretty sure it was from the water, but I was getting a tested water source. So I think I was absorbing it from my bath water. Um, but my body was so overburdened with other toxins. It just was in Lyme, you know, causes your body to have issues with detoxification, which explains why I felt so much better when I would sauna. There was one point where I needed to sauna twice a day first to get my day started to like wake up my brain. And then the next to just like go to bed and just relax at the end of the day and, and, and feel better to accomplish like some other homework assignments. Cause I was, Oh, I would always do a lot of homework assignments in my sauna because it helped my brain work. <laughs> um, I think it was a lot of the blood flow too, cause I had Bartonella too and Lyme and Bartonella can impact blood circulation. Um, so yeah, that's a lot of detail right there, but I, I also had a mold exposure, um, that, I mean, it's not confirmed, but I lived in a very old house for, um, a period of a few months, uh, in Marblehead, Massachusetts. And I remember getting sick when I first moved there and I thought it was like the flu or something. And then I got an air purifier and my mom, my mom got a little sick too. And we just thought it was like a cold. And then I got an air purifier and it went away, but pretty sure I was exposed to mold there too. And so it's just this accumulation of toxins that can burden our immune system. And I just, I really feel mold is a really it's a, a really commonly overlooked issue and people don't want to admit it. I think that was the problem with me. I didn't want to admit it because moving would be so daunting when you have such low energy and you're just trying to survive and like, yeah, you're just trying to get through medical school and things like that. And I think it's the people with the worst mold problems that just don't want to face the fact. And like, why did I put off testing for so long? Probably because if the results came back positive, I didn't want to move or face that huge daunting. Oh, it just... But you did eventually. And when you moved, you got so much better, right? I mean, that's the lesson. Well, one of the many, I mean, you just gave us over a dozen lessons in that one little snippet of information there, Dr. Lucas. So I'm just blown away. So, and, and my, yeah. my takeaway is though that you are your own experiment. And I, you know, this is the most yeah. fascinating part about this podcast interview is Love you it. were inspired by this naturopathic doctor. You went to naturopathic school, you experimented on yourself and you trial and error, like a scientific experiment. Sure. Until you figured out how to get yourself better, not just oh, from Lyme disease, but from mold and heavy metals and Bartonella and everything else. And now you're using what you've learned to give back to the chronic Lyme community. And Rich is going to get there in a little bit. I, I know I'm just getting ahead of myself, but the way you just described that just gave me chills. So I just, just want to really focus on how powerful that is. Um, and thank you for sharing that lesson with us because it was, I learned a lot with, from that. Um, but I think you had something to say. Did I interrupt you before asking my next question? I was say, this has just been very recent. I did everything. I just like got out of my apartment like two, a few, a couple of months ago. So <laughs> yeah, so, it's very recent. And also what you're saying is like me uh, be, being my own experiment. Like I literally was in my room, like doing IVs on myself, like doing different things and like, you know, just seeing what worked and what didn't and, you know, just trying to 
trying to get myself well. And, and that's taught me so much. And so I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. And we're, th- we're grateful for you to share all this. I mean, the, the one thing I do want to focus on, I don't want to decide this. I, I could, I, I can ask you so many questions. The one thing that I really want to focus on is you talked about frequency therapy. That was something you learned that was very helpful in your, in your experience. And in your pre-interview questionnaire, you talked about the free Medico wave one device as well. So can you give, can you talk to us about frequency therapy, the free Medico wave one device, PEMF and all that kind of stuff and what your views are and how it works and how it helps you in your journey, in your, you know, your journey to health that you're at now. Yeah, so it it's a frequency-based therapy which targets different um, bacteria. So like the first, oh, and resonance um, of your body to help stimulate systems. So the first phase, the first month is a detoxification phase and it helps um, stimulate detox and like put the body into a more parasympathetic state. And then this second phase is more targeted towards Lyme and that bacteria. So it helps um, kill, not not kill, but like more um, just uh, harmonize and 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 sort of kill. It's it's kind of like a rife technology. But does it kill? Because from what we understand, the frequency actually sort of cancels out the bacteria and prevents it from spreading and essentially kills it. Right. I mean, is that is that the how it works? Yeah, I, I think that that's a more accurate definition. Um, it's it's kind of hard to conceptualize, but I would say that's more um, accurate. And so then the phase three um, targets more of the co-infections. And it's amazing how these different frequencies, different bacteria have different frequencies, right? And so when we use a frequency-based device, we can target different things. Like you can tar- target different uh, parasites or um, free, uh, like co-infections and things like that, um, but also stimulate different systems of the body and different um, activities like such as um, stimulating like the body to be in a more parasympathetic state. So I think frequency-based therapy can be really a powerful tool. And when I used it, um, I will say I did notice a that I felt worse using it. So it was doing something, but then when I stopped, I was also in Florida at the time. And so then I felt better. And so I don't know whether the th- it was the therapy that helped or just the fact that I wasn't being exposed to mold. So it, overall, I'm not, I wish I knew whether how effective it was for my journey, but I do think it made a difference. And is that specifically, was that the Free Medica device you're referring to? Or was it another device you were using? The Free Medica Wave 1. The Wave 1. We're actually in in two weeks. This is really timely. We're going to be interviewing Stephen Davis from Free Medica. So we'll be certainly following up in, in greater detail and be sure to share with you what we're learning from that. Because we've been hearing a lot about frequency therapy lately. And now that we're interviewing him, it's very timely, the, the value of frequency therapy to not only, you know, to use Rich's term, right? the prehab. So it seems like there's waves and or phases and phase one is we're going to modulate your immune system. We're going to modulate your nervous system, take you out of fight or flight. Then we're going to focus on the Lyme bacteria. We're going to assist and kill that. Then we're going to focus on your co-infections. It seems very sort of structured in a way that is in alignment with the naturopathic way of thinking. So we're excited to learn more about that uh, as well. And I look, we can go more into detail with, with you, but there's so many other things to discuss here. So what else, you know, what else did you do, Dr. Lucas? I know we've had you for a while. So obviously the mold was huge. The heavy metals were huge and they were holding you back no matter what you were doing until you discovered that. 
And I think it's wild that you potentially, you were filtering your water, you were very careful, but yet you had one of the highest levels of heavy metals in your body because of the bath water potentially. So we really need to be aware of all ways that water is coming into contact with us and how we can get these heavy metals absorbed into our, our body through our skin, which is the largest organ our body has, right? Not only that, but like I had a bath filter. Um, so you need to make sure that it's a comprehensive filter. Um, you can absorb different toxins from any source. And so the thing is like, I think this test is so powerful be, because we're so bombarded with toxins. And if we're burdening our immune system with more and more toxins, like Lyme, Lyme is a biotoxin. Like it just, it's just, our, our, we can't handle as much. But the, the thing I want to mention is like my mom, I gave her a heavy metals test for Christmas. Her thallium levels were really high. I, I knew her uh, mercury would be high and that's why I did the test because I wanted to show her like you're, you might be eating too much tuna um, and swordfish. Um, but her, so that was unsurprising, but her thallium was really high. And I'm like, where are you getting this? She was losing her hair. She didn't tell me until after the test. And then I like did some research and I found that kale or cruciferous vegetables can absorb a lot of thallium from the soil. And it turns out she was eating kale every single day. So she would have never known unless we did this test, you know? Um, so it's like, sometimes these tests can be really powerful. Like you're losing your hair. Obviously it's impacting your body in some way. And we're just so bombarded with these toxins. So we need to protect ourselves in any way possible. Well, I love how this ties into what you did when you first graduated college, when you were, when you were, you know, in your early twenties and you were working in digital marketing and analytics. And a lot of what that is, is you're looking at data, right? You're looking at data to make determined decisions. And what you did with your mom and what you did with yourself is you were running as many tests as possible to get as much data as possible on your own body and your mom's body to then draw conclusions based on your behaviors and your environment to figure out why and how you're getting sick. And then to take steps to to backstep that and to remediate those those factors, right? So this is really very cool because you're talking about like the scientific method we talked about earlier. We're talking about using technology and data to do this interpretation and, and analysis. And it's really like you're playing detective with your health. So I just really enjoy hearing the, the the approach you took. But again, I know I can go on and on and on. I just want to make sure did we miss anything. So we talked about you did a ton of herbal medicine. You did a ton of frequency therapy with your free medical wave one device. You're not sure whether it was helpful or not because there was a lot of overlap there with the mold exposure and, and getting out of it. You did a, a lot of IVs. You did uh, some red light therapy. You did ozone, a ton of detox, a ton of binders. Anything else that was really helpful you feel in your journey you want to share with our listeners from a treatment standpoint, whether it be you know immune modulating, whether it be nervous system modulating, whether it be mental health, whether it be killing the bacteria, you know any of the above that you want to share that were very helpful in your journey. Yeah, so... I think with chronic Lyme disease, mast cell activation syndrome is a huge piece. Oh, what I didn't mention in terms of my symptoms is I was so chemically sensitive. I couldn't travel. Like I, could, I couldn't go to the chiropractor. I would pick up scents 
every everywhere I couldn't go for walks without like smelling people's laundry detergent from their house and like having to like run past it like I it was I started smelling things coming through the wall like people would deliver groceries and like the bag would smell and I would I would not be able to touch it because then I would get the scent on me um things like that um I would after you know going to the chiropractor once like I had to like someone's fragrance gone on their hands and then it got in my hair and I had to wash my hair like 500 times and sauna and wash it with vinegar and things like that so my chemical sensitivities were really debilitating I couldn't travel because I could smell like the laundry detergent or whatever um I would have to switch seats on the airplane a million times it was just like it was very isolating because I would be afraid to like go out like I you know you can't even like go like I I would go in an elevator that had recently been cleaned and experienced like the worst brain fog from just like if few seconds of like clothes or like um covering my mouth and my nose and like not breathing and I would smell that scent for like hours and hours afterwards and um it was very debilitating and getting like that brain fog like that was the worst symptom from chemical exposure so I did um uh learn about DNRS I didn't actually do the practice but I did the program and I feel that really helped me just solidify that um just my approach to when I was chem- uh exposed to chemicals or fragrances to just like calm my in- uh nervous system um in those cases and things like that and so that helped a lot and then another thing that really helped because I was so sensitive to treatments because of the mast cell activation um was just stopping everything like so I didn't focus as much on internal treatments I found like I did so much better with like things like ozone and um and sauna and and light therapy and things like that I think because my liver was so burdened but um sometimes it's helpful to just stop everything I had a really bad SIBO and I couldn't tolerate the herbs I couldn't tolerate the medication I couldn't tolerate um I I just I couldn't tolerate the elemental diet because a little ingredients in it, things like that. And so how do you get rid of SIBO when, and you can't tolerate any foods. And like, I was having trouble like gaining weight at that point, um, because I couldn't tolerate any foods. Um, how do you treat SIBO when you can't tolerate the treatment, you know? Um, and so I did a, a, a long water fast. Um, I went to Costa Rica and that reset my whole immune system as well. But the elemental diet is in the research, one of the most effective, um, treatment approaches for SIBO. And so that's 20, like that's 14 to 21 days of, of drinking this formula to starve out the bacteria. But what's better than that? Like just not eating anything for 21 days. And I was very thin, um, but I couldn't gain weight. And so, um, I, it was the hardest thing I ever did. I had a lot of reserves and I, I didn't have a lot of reserves, but it reset everything for me. And then I finally, um, 
I've, I noticed I was less chemically sensitive after that. I could tolerate massive amounts of food. Like my SIBO was completely gone. Um, but there was also a benefit to my immune system that I wasn't expecting. So Dr. Lucas, talk to us more about impact SIBO had on your multiple chemical sensitivities. Because we have a lot of people who have these severe sensitivities to detergents and odors and smells. And it sounds like DNRS, the dynamic neural retraining system, from a brain retraining standpoint, where your brain gets stuck in certain loops, combined with addressing your SIBO, really helped alleviate these multiple chemical sensitivities that you were experiencing. Is that what, is that what I'm hearing from you, that those two things together were really you know, pivotal in overcoming that? I would. Um, but I also would add changing my diet a little bit because prior to that, I was doing more of like a high fat, low carb diet. And I think that was just causing, um, slow lymphatic drainage and slow, slow liver function. Um, that definitely did not work for me. Um, so I, I went to more of a, a lower fat, higher fruit, um, and higher carb diet. That's just easier to digest and absorb. And, um, I think just a lot of like the heavier foods was just slowing down my whole system. And so I felt so much better after I adopted like more, um, alkalizing foods and, um, more living foods and and things like that. So I would say it was diet addressing the SIBO and then also the DNRS that made the biggest changes, but also ongoing detoxification. So, you know, doing the sauna and, um, I mean, uh, diet also falls into that realm as well. So we touched on this. My final question before Rich picks up is going to be, tell us how, when you found the mold in your apartment in California, you said, all right, I'm done. I finally had the, you know, the courage to do it. I knew this was going to happen and now I have to move. So obviously you left your apartment. Tell us where you are now, how you've been feeling for the last, I think, two months that you've been there. And yeah. Rich is going to kind of take it from here. But I mean, just seeing, we've been we've been on with you now, just for the context of our listeners who don't know how much time you spend offline. It's been several hours we've been talking and your energy is still there. Your enthusiasm is still there. Your the lessons part. are still there. You haven't lost, you haven't lost a beat, right? So just, or skip the beat. I'm sorry. So just tell us, you know, about that transition and then Rich will pick it up from there. Okay. All right. Well, I just need to get out of my apartment. Um, this fall actually was really hard for me. I had just recently graduated and I didn't know what was going on. It, it Things got worse. I don't know if, if there was a new leak or new growth or what, but I also think it was the uranium because um, I started taking baths every day. And so this fall, something was going on. I was struggling. Um, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't piece it together, but it was especially bad this fall. And so once I did the, I finally got myself to do the total tox test. Um, it came back really high and I was like, I just need to get out of here. And so I needed to go somewhere healing. Um, I, despite like it was a struggle, but I just packed up all my things, sold whatever I could, um, got it all. Oh, and I also wanted to live my dream. My dream has always been to move to Hawaii. I also want to do regenerative medicine there. And so I packed up all my things, 
and I went to the most healing place I knew. And that was Costa Rica because I've healed here many times in the past. And so that's where I've been. Um, and it's been very, very therapeutic for me. Um, and I've been able to detox and I feel better than ever. I did do a 21 day fast as well, though, um, because I knew that was the fastest way to, to, to detox and get rid of, um, the, the damage that had been done. And now I'm rebuilding from here, but yeah, I just had to get out of my apartment from the mold and the uranium. And I, I feel like better than I ever have in my whole life right now. So, yeah. So let's talk about the transformational nature of this experience. The parts of uh, the Lyme disease journey that you wouldn't give back for all the money in the world. How are you different? And how did you learn about, uh, you know, your gifts and your talents that you're now using to serve um, the world? How am I different? Um, well, my experience has taught me to push through things and it's taught me that- But not too hard. But not too, no, no, but, but to have faith, have faith in the process because- everything that I've been through, like, I look back on it, and I'm not mad about it. I'm open. I'm, I'm just, I know it's all going to benefit me and my future patients. And so it's taught me so much. I've learned so much through it. And like, I, I, I think that's what, that's what sets me apart is my positive outlook on what I've been through and my positivity and every day people would have no idea what I was going through never because I'm so friendly and um I never talk about these things and I got the best compliment the other day um someone said someone uh people just seem to glow after talking to you you must be impact impacting them in some way and so all I can hope for is that my past experience can have empathy and can really help other people not only get results in their treatment, but also just feel like they're being cared for and are healing. So tell us about how you learned to be that empathetic doctor and what were the triggers for that, right? Because you went from being uh, you know, a, a data geek, for lack of a better description of uh, what your post-university uh, experience was, to now being a healer. And you that was a big pivot from, you know, what your experiences were during your child and the way you envisioned yourself. And, and, and um, you know, when you went on your, your health journey, you were touched by many people who then inspired you to change your career path so that you can help others. So give us all of those pieces, how, how you discovered that those talents that you had, how you're using those to um, help other people feel good about themselves after they come in contact with you and how that um, ultimately triggered you to go through a retraining process and, and a re-education process despite being um, chronically ill. Yeah, I just have this desire to make everyone else's day or their life better. I don't know what it is, but I just want to help people on a different level. And I think what it, what it was for me is like, 
going through this struggle and knowing how much people struggle and don't even talk about it. Like I know, I know everyone has their own struggle. And so if I can make someone's day or, you know, a patient's life just a little bit better, just by, you know, doing little things like then I'm going to go out of my way to do them because it's so impactful. And just as much as we can do, it's just having had that struggle on my own led me to realizing that I can impact other people in such a positive way because of those people who have had that role in my life. So I hope I can do the same for other people that other people have done for me. So now give us um, one final insight and we'll let you go. You've been wonderful and your story is, is a beautiful story and you, you've really articulated so much of this brilliantly. Uh, but give us one more one more moment of your time and then we promise you we'll let you go back to your, your, your recovery experience there in Costa Rica. Uh, if God forbid somebody that you love, your mom, who is you know so supportive of you during this during this journey, came walking into your room, and I know she's not in Costa Rica with you, but if she were, but she came walking into your room after this podcast, and and you had discovered that she had a tick biting her. Um, what would you recommend that she do so that she wouldn't have to go through the chronic challenges that you did? Um, well, first, um, remove it carefully um, and make sure all parts are intact by using tweezers and making sure even like the, the head and everything, like there are no parts, but remove it immediately because you don't want anything, um, any more contact um, to increase your um, chances of acquiring Lyme. Um, save it, put it in a plastic baggie so that you can send it to a lab and get it tested. And then in the meantime, um, I think you should be proactive. I would find a Lyme literate physician. Um, honestly, I would go for, personally, I would go for the antibiotics, but everyone is different. I think it's, it's, not, it's not worth the chance of acquiring, like, years of having symptoms and, and fighting Lyme disease when you can just take a round of antibiotics, but you know, there are consequences to that in, in your gut health and everything. Um, and that impacts your immune system. Um, but there are other options like you could do herbs, you could treat with ozone, you could do hyperbaric, you could, you know, you could do frequency-based therapy. So, um, explore all those options with a Lyme literate physician. And then I would say, focus on the foundations for health, getting proper sleep and um, uh, focusing on your stress levels and, and things like that so that your body can fight this immune system, uh, immune uh, infection. And uh, yeah, I, it's so funny. Actually, I got two, two bites from ticks here in Costa Rica, but they were they were so tiny and minuscule and there have been no cases in Costa Rica, but I freaked out. And I of course put in a baggie because I want to send it to a lab. Um, and I found a tick on myself, uh, about a year ago and I freaked out and I took the antibiotics, even though I don't know if it bit me, but for me, it wasn't worth it to, um, to go through this experience again. So 
Well, thank you so much, Dr. Morgan Lucas, for spending so much time with us in our, our community. Uh, you're a wonderful young doctor who we know is going to change uh, uh, the, 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 the face of Lyme disease. So thank you very much for all the work that you're doing. And thank you for spending so much time with us. It has been such a pleasure. I truly appreciate you having me on the podcast and letting me share my story so that other people know um, to have faith and and hopefully my story can inspire or can maybe give some people some tips on how to approach this situation. And I just really appreciate what you do in spreading the message because it is so commonly overlooked and there needs to be more awareness and education for how to deal with Lyme disease. Thank you for listening to our Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Dr. Morgan Lucas. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Dr. Lucas, check out our Instagram at dr.morganlucas. That's dr.morganlucas. Second, if you've enjoyed this episode of our Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com slash bite to view our blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on your podcast platform of choice. And finally, if you'd like to search our podcast library of over 350 episodes, subscribe to our email list or share feedback with us, please visit our website at tickbootcamp.com. Thank you, as always, for listening.